Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. Our special guest today is Noah Rubin. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nina Pantic. And I'm Irina Falcone. Noah is a 23-year-old New Yorker who has won four ATP challengers during his career and has been inside the top 200 most of 2019. He won the 2014 Wimbledon title as a junior and played one year at Wake Forest. He has a lot to say about the ATP tour and how it could be improved especially when it comes to how the players are treated and, of course, the breakdown of prize money. He is the owner of Behind the Racket, an Instagram account that has exploded in the tennis world. Let's jump into our episode with Noah Rubin. All right, Noah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. We're so excited you could join us here in New York as well. Oh, I mean, God, I'm here. I might, I might as well see you in person, right? You're a podcast pro, too, so now we have another co-host. Oh, God. Co-host. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm up to, like, six now. That's like, that's average. That's average. Like I'm finding my legs now, like seeing what it's all about, like learning about microphones, but don't ask me questions and like really getting into the business a little bit. You've got a ranking. You've got a ranking. <laughs> Are you enjoying the podcast biz? Is it nice to connect with players? Because you're part, as part of your, your job role recruiting players? Yeah, I do like it. I mean, I like talking. I like hearing myself talk. So this is the perfect opportunity just to, you know, go on rants. Like these, that's always what I want to do. And like Mike Cation and I, we kind of have the same mentality and he's, you know, been the challenger tour forever. So we have an understanding of what we want to get accomplished. And then, you know, I talk to the players. I'm like, can you do a half hour? Like 20 minutes, 18 minutes. Okay. Just whatever, whatever amount of time you can do, just come and we'll get it done. So it's been fun. Obviously players are a pain in the ass sometimes, but. Okay. Yeah, they are. Irina can relate. I have her sometimes being the one wrangling players because you can just text someone and I don't really have that level of camaraderie. And then they just ignore you. So it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I always find it. It's always surprising when people say, oh, you're going to a tournament. You will have time to get players. I'm like, uh, it's actually like the complete opposite. And so that's why we're looking forward to the fact that it's off season time coming soon. So we're just going to try and like just get them in like as many as possible no nobody understands i'm like you know as a player we know when players don't want to be bothered you know you're at a tournament they're like they finally have like a day off or something but they're training and then you don't know when to go up to them and everybody's schedule is different and now with behind the racket as well it's like okay you're here for the podcast or behind the racket and they just they're running away from me basically at this point but you know still you know most of the guys have been nice and everybody's been really cooperative so i think it's cool though because you're doing something a lot more than just playing tennis yeah that's always been the dream you know trying to make you know a wave you know trying to be a pioneer of sorts and and i think a lot of people are are following and kind of doing it hand in hand and you know people are more outspoken i think nowadays more than ever so just trying to get everybody on the same page you know fighting for the same things and also you know trying to actually putting some effort off the court which you know for tennis players is not an easy thing to do i mean you know it's like you know you have a little bit of time off and it's not and if it's not for yourself if you can't like have the foresight and look and see like this is actually going to affect me in the long term they're like why the hell would i do that so it's getting everybody to understand that this is all helping us you know in the long term 
let's put all our antiquated beliefs aside and, and move on. I think it's great that you're doing this because, I mean, I know for a fact that tennis players, they do have free time. They really do. But um, you just get in that norm of like, you know, what, I'm just going to chill in my room for six hours, not leave, get room service, and I'm going to do it again tomorrow. I love it sometimes. Though. I totally agree. I mean, you get into that rhythm and you kind of like almost isolate yourself in a sense, which you feel like, okay, now I'm actually, I feel like a human being now. I feel like normal. So I, I, I can totally relate. No, 100%. And I think, you know, people always ask me like, how do you have time to do this? And I'm like, to be honest... Even if you play four or five hours a day and then another hour, two hours in the gym, there's a lot of time off the court. And that's like a full day of work. And there's days we do less. So it's just, you know, monitoring your time and, you know, utilizing it to the best of your ability. And believe me, I still have time to Netflix and HBO and everything else. And I have enough shows to go around, but I want to use it and, and not waste my time for the next 15 years. So we'll see. It's a very mature way to go about it. And I, I do want to talk a little bit about Behind the Racket as well as your podcast career. Why did you choose the name? And I know it was inspired by Humans of New York, yes. a very, very popular account that I know very well, obviously. But why Behind the Racket? Why the frame in front of the racket? How do you come up with this? Do you think you talk to other people a little bit or was it all you? So that literally I was in my bed after Australia. I had jet lag. It was three in the morning. Like I was, <laughs> so I was, I had this Netflix show on. It was about like social media influencers. And then I was looking at humans of New York. So I was like, really had this frame of mind of social media and like how to make I'm always looking to like make a wave. I was looking for my way in somehow. And then everything came to me automatically. I was, you know, I was like, how is nobody doing this? One, really in the world of sports. And then two, in the world of tennis. I mean, you know, I say this thing right now and it's a problem. Tennis is really boring right now. I don't think we have a lot of things that are exciting. And, and I think that's why Behind the Racket has gotten some leverage because they have nothing else to talk about. I mean, there's only so many things to talk about in the world of tennis. I mean, how many forums and backends can you listen to? And you're like, but who are the people that are doing this? And I think there was a disconnect between the player and the fans. And I think that was a huge problem. So it was a combination of getting that entertainment value back and for fans to relate to the players, but also opening up like mental health barriers and things that players deal with that, you know, we all know very well and, you know, people didn't really talk about. So I was just in bed and yeah, the behind the racket is kind of just showing that you have an understanding of who they are. You could see it, but there's something blocking them from, you know, really understanding who they are as a person. And I think, you know, that's super important um, to realize that there's so much more deeper to these players. And I feel as a responsibility now. Part of me was like, wow, the journalists in tennis, because as a journalist, I'm like, we were just missing something because one of your stories was like, well, you know, tennis wasn't really getting this media, wasn't really being able to break down the spare because we can't. But you are the insider because you're also a player. You can ask these awkward, maybe difficult questions that a reporter will never able to pull off no it's how, it's, how do you even ask these <laughs> and it's tough and obviously i had a, you know a few close friends that started the ball rolling for me like an ernesto escobedo talking about his stutter straight off the bat i think that was my first one i didn't know how he's going to react to me asking him like what do you feel about your stutter like that's just like a really straightforward blunt question but i think all the players were understanding that they didn't have to put up like their media face with me and as soon as media comes around, I'm, I've tried to do a better job of just being an open book no matter who I speak to. But for players, you have like your 10 sentences you say all the time. And whether it's you know, like you switch your pre-match or post-match and all of this and you switch it right on. But you never really get the understanding of what's happening, who they are. So I think they put the shield down a little bit and they get final say in everything I post. So there's like a there's a comfort behind everything. And, 
you know, I think people are taking it as an opportunity to really uh, branch out a little bit. I'm sure that a lot of people just kind of relate more to these players. I mean, there are so many things that I have seen on this account where I'm just like, holy cow, I cannot believe they just said that. But it makes them more human in a sense. Like when you think of professional athletes, you think of someone that is so untouchable, so like almost perfect in a sense. So the fact that these people are able to just, well, the fact that you're able to just break down these barriers is just awesome. So kudos to you for bringing this into the light. (laughs) No, I appreciate it. I think, you know, as athletes, we're always told like move past whatever pain you're feeling, especially mentally. So I, I think we're trying to open up, you know, people's ideas and notions that there's some things that you really have to deal with. And people are coming up to me and saying, well, I don't have a story as, as tough as somebody else. And I'm like, your story is your story. And even if, you know, God forbid you didn't lose a parent, or you didn't go through something like that, but just your tennis story or something you dealt with as a child, it's your story. People are going to relate to it. And, you know, the best ones are people saying like, I never used to watch tennis or I used to watch tennis. And now I just have somebody to root for now. And it's just bringing new fans to the sport. It's exciting. And we'll see where it goes. Were you ever worried that you'd run out of players or someone or you wouldn't get any content or no one would? Because right now it has more, more followers than your own account. <laughs> and both have a lot of followers. Both are, are doing great. Were you worried? Yeah, I was worried about everything. I mean, starting off, I was worried about how people would view it. I would worry about, I mean, you know, social media is a weird world. I mean, you have lunatics from all over that finally have a say and they have a keyboard and now they just go off. But it's been a really positive vibe on my page. And, you know, that's something you can't pay for. I mean, that's just people supporting one another. So the content's tough. And especially, you know, people forget I still (laughs) play tennis for a living. And um, I still have all of that and training. So to get people around the world to be involved. Yeah, there there are times where I don't have the content needed, but I'm still pushing forward and, and I take it in strides. And doing a billion other things and, uh, you know, my website should be coming out. So, uh, yeah, it should be out already. And so I'm doing a lot of things with mental health and all of this. And, and that's the first step. So we'll see how it goes. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Hey guys, you're listening to Noah Rubin on the Tennis.com podcast. He's talking about Behind the Racket, the Instagram account that he started all by himself. Keep listening. So for people that haven't necessarily been like following you or anything, tell us how your year's been. (laughs) Let's just say about... No, it was actually pretty promising in January. (laughs) You know, started off with the final of a challenger, excited, pretty good preseason, worked hard. And, uh, yeah, you know, was, was plugging along and then got to a point in, in March, April where I was feeling moments of depression and, and it was around right before French where <laughs> actually my friends texted me and said, uh, how's Boca doing as in that I was retired because I told everybody that I was kind of done with tennis and obviously I'm getting crap for my friends, but yeah, I was actually thinking about hanging him up for a little bit or, or taking some real time off because I got to my career high at about 120 in the world. Not a lot changed. You know, I was I was paying for a coach for the better half of the year. And uh, yeah, I was losing a decent amount of money. Um, wasn't making main draw slams yet. And I just didn't feel 
I say this line all the time, but I didn't feel even at that point where I was at my best that tennis was conducive to happiness. And I asked a lot of players this now. I was like, are you only happy when you're winning? And when you give time to think about it, they say yes. You know, it's and that's really difficult because we don't win in tennis. Nobody wins in tennis. I mean, Fed is the the rare one who on a bad week gets the semis. But the rest of us, you know, we're losing constantly for a second round. Maybe we have a quarter semi and then you go back and then you have a win. You know, if you have one win a year, it's a pretty good year. So in a sport where you lose all the time, you know, it was really tough to admit to myself that I was only happy when I was winning. And yeah, so French was a little bit of a vacation, I like to say for myself and um, wasn't training or hitting a ball, got there, played, um, didn't do so well and went home. And then um, I was, you know, trying to find the realization of what I need to do to be happier. And I literally hit with a 20 year old an hour a day barely any finish, just stretching and qualified for Wimbledon. And I was like, wow, maybe it's just a matter of I just have to be happy on the court and I'm going to fight for every court and not let go. And that's way more important. I should put that on a pedestal way further than, you know, let's train six hours a day. Let's, you know, work out another two hours. So now I'm at a place where I'm picking my tournament schedule. I'm taking time off. I'll go on the four day vacations, you know, when I want to, because we have a long season. I think I'd rather take a four day vacation, miss a tournament than, you know, lose first round. You know what that feels like losing first round train for a week. And you're like, why am I here? Why am I playing tennis? So I'm definitely in a better place now. Um, ranking obviously not where I want to be. Um, but I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling that behind the rackets give me the necessary mentality to play tennis and move forward. But I'm sure that a lot of players are literally agreeing and relating so hard to you right now. Um, I know for a fact that taking some time off was what I needed. So I'm just curious as to what's kind of not necessarily stopping you, but what's your reason as to not just, hey, I'm just going to take a break. I need some Noah Rubin time. I know it sounds weird, but I'm my best person is the cheesiest line of all time. I'm my best person when I'm playing tennis. So even when I was miserable, this was three months ago, even when I was miserable, I loved practice. I got on the court with my father or a friend. I just loved to practice and play. It's a system of tennis that I have a real problem with. And that's what I've been complaining about day in, day out and, and harping on is that, you know, the lack of financial support, you know, just the team atmosphere, the loneliness, everything that comes with, you know, being a professional tennis player and, and not having that support makes it really challenging. But I still love the sport. And that's why, yeah, I take some time off here and there. But you know, if I get to play an hour of tennis and I just have fun, like I'm going to have a much better day than if I took it fully off. So, you know, everybody's saying, you know, that I'm, you know, trying to bully tennis down because one, I didn't make it to where I, you know, could have been so far or two, I just don't like the sport, but it's the complete opposite. I, you know, I've dedicated my life to the sport. I love it. And I know how incredible it is and the incredible people it brings around. So I, I think we have to fight a little harder to, uh, give it the platform necessary. Don't knock top 120. Like seriously, <laughs> there's so many people out there that say like top 100 is a dream. But at the end of the day, like if you're top 200 in anything in the world, like you have fortune 500 companies, what makes it any different? You know, of course, but it's all perspective, but you're telling, you know, whether it's non-tennis players or people that really haven't been around the sport too long, you know, it's like, how much money are you making this year? If you're not, if you're not main draw of a grand slam, if you're, you're not struggling. second week of a Grand Slam, I mean, I, I'm from New York. I know how it is. People just go to the U.S. Open just because it's, you know, it's a thing to do. And then until the second week of the Slam, they're like, oh, now the U.S. Open started. 
And I, I hate that. People say that he didn't make it into US Open or when he doesn't qualify. I'm like, just say that I played qualifying at the Open. Don't say he didn't make it into US Open. It, like those things, it's just a continuous thing that just beats us down that says, oh, you're 150, you're not really good at tennis. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sorry, sorry to waste your time. Did, did you think you knew that, though, when you turned pro at 19, that, that it would be this big of a challenge, that being ranked in the 200s, you wouldn't be making a lot of money? Did you know this going in? No, and it's, honestly, it's one of the things, one of the billion things that I want to implement, and I've, talk, I've spoken to the ATP. I want an outreach program of some sort that you kind of have like a Rolodex of players that you can contact. Just ask questions. I, I know a lot of the players would say no to this, the ones that would be the ones getting asked the questions, but just a few guys have their emails and say like, what is it like? And obviously these podcasts and everything else, we're doing a much better job in the past year or two than ever before. And hopefully this helps a lot of people understand, but you know, I don't want to deter anybody away from playing it, but I just want them to have an understanding of what they're getting themselves into. Because if you're looking at it and you're like, you know what, I still believe I can make it. And even if I don't make money or this and that, I'm still fine. But I just don't want them to expect this glamorous life and then get in, I mean, to top 400, top 500. Like that's where a lot of, that's where the majority of players are. It's not 200, not 250. So you're 400 in the world and you're losing 20, 30,000, $40,000 a year and playing some crappy tennis tournaments, if I do say so. We've all played them. I mean, they, they work their asses off and, you know, they only have volunteers as they make no money, but... It's not a great place to be. So that's, you know, I want to give players an opportunity in high school, college, even younger to say, okay, I understand what I'm doing. I want to do it still. I've heard the cliche over and over again. If it would be easy, everybody would be doing it, right? So my question to you is, if you actually think that we had this outreach program where young players would actually reach out to players that have been in that position before, do you think they'd actually want to do it? I mean, do you actually think that we would sell the sport? Because if you're, from what you're saying, it sounds like if winning is the only time that you're happy, like how often are you winning? Look at that percentage. So it's going to be a very small percentage that you're going to be winning. But I mean, I think it's, you have to see the other side of it. People tell me all the time, oh my gosh, you get to travel to all these different places. And I'm like, I saw the hotel, I saw the site, <laughs> and I went to dinner to the same restaurant seven days nights. in a row. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just curious, like, if someone came up to you, if, like, a 17-year-old, he's like, hey, Noah, I'm debating whether or not to turn professional. I've been doing really well, top 10 junior in the world. Um, go professional or go to college. Like, is that – can you help me out? What would you be telling him? I think – I think it would actually deter players less than you think. I think it would just change their path. If I knew what I knew now, let's say three years ago, four years ago, I would have added another year of college, maybe another two years, just to enjoy because of the longevity of tennis. I mean, these guys are making it 31, 32 years old. Like that's a prime now, uh, you know, of men. I mean, I'm talking about men as more. That's just my knowledge. But, um, you know, so I would just do it differently. And you know, the breaks that I take now, I would have taken when I was 20 to make sure that maybe I don't play 35 weeks. Maybe I play 29 weeks or 25 weeks even and and do it like I, I, I did in the juniors. In the juniors, um, I reached a high ranking of six in the world by playing like 10 tournaments that year. Like obviously you win, you're winning more in juniors. Everybody does. But at the same time, I think the mentality should be the same that you have to be fully prepared for every tournament. And when somebody says they're on their eighth week in a row... I'd like to get them first round. Let's just say that. 
There's no way that the momentum they're having is so great. No, they're exhausted. And I think if I spoke to a 17-year-old, I'd be like, go to school, conquer that journey, conquer those players there, because I think that was important. Um, you know, I kind of did that in my freshman year, so maybe it didn't make sense to go another year. But I think, you know, just seeing that level, being there for some time, enjoying tennis, you know, that's another feel that you can enjoy, the team atmosphere. I don't think it would really deter players. I think it would just change their trajectory a little bit, you know, have the time off, enjoy some things, maybe go like the Pan Am games instead of that one extra tournament or or do these things that everybody questions. And I'm like, no, just have fun. And my, and my dad said something, you know, nothing crazy. He said a billion things to me. But, you know, this one, I was like, do I play World Team Tennis again next year? And he's like, do it now. Like, agree to it right now. Yeah, you miss DC and all these tournaments, but who cares? Who cares about these tournaments? They're not crazy tournaments. They don't treat you that well, first of all. Let's be honest. These 500s and all of them, they don't do a great job. They really don't compared to what we need for guys playing at like the 10 in the world. We want to see a lot better. And if that's financials, it's fine. But at World Team Tennis, we're treated so extremely well. I mean, they called me. They're like, we have your Uber waiting for you. I'm like, why? I I, I usually do that. (laughs) Why are you doing things for me? So... You know, these are things, it's just understanding what makes you happy. And then, you know, if it means a week off or three weeks off playing World Team Tennis, and why not? Like, these are things that you have to put in perspective that, yeah, you may lose out a few points, but you're happier 10 years from now. So Um, I just, (laughs) I totally agree with you like a million percent. My only thing is, wouldn't you say that it's coming from the coaching, though? I mean, if you think about it, if you're young, you're playing a lot of matches, that's your coaches, that's your parents telling you, hey, you need to go out there, you need to spend like 30 weeks out of the year, be playing because that's what you need to do. And it was so enlightening yesterday. I was I was having dinner with Cece Bellis, who's struggled a ton uh, in the past two years, but she ha- had a heck of a career before that. Um, and she's hoping to play again. And her mom said a comment like, you know, I think that you need to eat, sleep, breathe, tennis to be successful and she stopped her right there she's like I disagree I think that you need to enjoy and to be able to hear that from such a young player I was I was just in shock I was like does everybody else have this mentality because I know for a fact that if you're from like European countries I'm gonna go ahead and tell you they probably might not say yeah go ahead on that vacation go enjoy it go 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 I don't know. I think you have to understand, first of all, the culture you grew up in. I think it's super important. Yes, you have to be un- you have to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Um, but at the same time, I think there are certain things where you can't fight yourself on. Uh, you know yourself as a person. You know, you know what's conducive to working your hardest, pushing yourself. Like for me, yes, Nona was great, and I really enjoyed it at times. But if I'm going to be happier in New York, and if I'm going to push even harder. I'll sacrifice playing outside for training harder indoors. That's just a personal thing. And even people within the U.S. will disagree with me. So I think it's just finding where you fit in as a tennis player. And yes, I don't agree with the sleep, breathe, whatever, drink, eat tennis. I think we do that anyway. I mean, we're just naturally around the game almost 24-7 at this point. So I think it's super important to actually separate yourself. And I did a behind the rack with... Uh, Fabrice Santoro and he literally said if you don't get yourself outside the bubble you'll lose yourself inside the bubble and you'll never find your full potential so I think it's actually I think you can maybe reach a certain level quicker with breathing sleeping eating tennis but I think there comes a point where you can't reach your full potential because 
you're not really enjoying the sport. And honestly, somebody like Tommy Paul, who just went on a tear, if you're watching him, I mean, there's very little negative emotion. He's literally enjoying it. He's free-flowing on the court, hitting the shots he wants to hit. And we had him on the podcast. He's literally saying, I'm just hitting the shots I feel comfortable with. I want to have fun out there and just enjoy. He drank a beer, too. And he drank a beer. And he drank a beer. So I think there's certain things that I just don't think tennis is ready for to hear yet. But at the same time, I think it's a necessity is, is finding out who you are, you know, what you do well and where you work well and how are you going to work your hardest and, and find that atmosphere and obviously push yourself at times and push the limits, but within the confi- uh, confines of, of who you are. And, and I think that's how you reach your full potential. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, we're here with Noah Rubin. He is talking all things tennis and all the different ways that we can improve the sport dramatically. Let's listen in. What does tennis need to change? Because we've talked about how you think maybe a tournament at a five hundred level isn't doing the best job. I think there's not enough time on the. Yeah, I was going to say this is, this is another podcast. <laughs> well, what, what, okay, what about then the Oracle Pro Series coming out and launching all these extra tournaments in America? Is that a good push? Is that a complicated push? It's complicated. So I have to preface it with saying, if we have people that support the sport, like Larry Ellison and Oracle, we have to applaud that. We don't have enough people supporting the sport of tennis that we could say, you just, you know, you're not doing what we want, so just leave. No, we have to respect it. I mean, he's putting a lot of money, a lot of effort into this. At the same time, I'm one to say, I understand that you're opening up opportunities for other players. Make the tournaments we have now a little bit better. You hear the complaints we have, you hear all these issues. Make the tournaments that we have now better, more enjoyable for the players rather than, you know, putting 25 tournaments out. And that's, I've, I've been a big um, quality over quantity guy lately. And because and, I've seen it, uh, it's whether it's, you know, and there's some nice 500s, don't get me wrong. I'm not categorizing. I'm, I know I'm going to get crap for this, but, you know, I'm not categorizing 250s and 500s. But even at that level, it doesn't really change until the thousands for us. I mean, whether it's Indian Wells, even Miami, I think it could be better. And, and this is, these are just the issues. And I'm looking at other sports and I'm like, you guys are just treated so well. And, you know, my first time in Australia, that was like the first time I really felt that where they just appreciated you as a tennis player and every, and even in qualifying, just everything you've done. And we don't get that in tennis. And, you know, we have crappy food and we're not, you know, whatever it is, the facility is not up to par and all this stuff. And I'm like, and transportation, I'm waiting an hour and a half. And it's like, people are like, well, that's just arrogant of you. And I'm like, you know what? I've worked really hard. I, I, I feel like I have the right to certain things. And if, if I get hate for that, that's fine. But I'm looking out for the players that have worked their whole lives, have extreme talent, and are the top 200 players in the world at what they do. I think we should be treated a little bit better. So, you know, I, you know, I always say this, that tennis right now is not promotable or fan-friendly. You're not going to get an eight-year-old to sit, you know, throughout a two out of three and nonetheless a three out of five set match. And, you know, if we can't do that, there's no tennis in 10 years from now. So I think... Um, people at the top are understanding it, but not at the trajectory that I want them to understand it. I think it's going to go much quicker. 
And that's why I'm working with people like uh, Tiebreak 10s and and World Team Tennis and all these guys that are just implementing little things to make the sport more exciting because that's where I see the love for a sport. That's why I see drunk fans going nuts and then DJs and and food and everybody getting into it. It's not, you know, at the Challenger or even the 250-500. I play them all over the world and you have like 30 fans sometimes. I had 30 fans in Geneva. It was a gorgeous tournament. I was playing Fognini second round. I had like a hundred fans. I'm like, and everybody's quiet. I'm like, come on. Like, what are we doing? How are we not looking at this and seeing like we have some issues? So we'll see. I'm doing what I think is my part. I'm trying to get a lot of people involved and, and obviously protecting the players, but you know, making it a better place in 10 years from now. Well, I'm glad to know that it's not just the WTA that has that struggle sometimes because there have been many occasions where I'm like, ooh, I have three people out there. Woo! And I'll say this, as far behind as ATP is in, in sports world, I would like to say that WTA is even five years further behind than the ATP, which is extremely upsetting. I mean, from the few girls I've spoken to, uh, whether it's like Jamie Loeb or C- and all these girls, and I'm like, you don't even have an app yet. Like you just got the app. I was like, like little things like this. And I'm like, how are you five years behind us? Like if I feel like tennis is nowhere near where it's to be for ATP and you guys are like lagging behind, I'm like, oh, I feel awful. I really do. The discrepancy is obvious in the little things in terms of like the WHA website compared to the ATP website. But then when I think about it from perspectives of fans or um, journalists, I guess I'll go with that perspective. I'm like, you guys have free transportation. What do you want? But you're making a great point. When the grind is your entire life and you're on court and you're on tour and it all results around how you're feeling mentally, physically, emotionally, little things matter. It's day in, day out. And, you know, you have a long match, you lose six in the third and you have to wait an hour and a half for transportation and... You know, then you call an Uber, it's not there. And then you don't have an extra pass or an extra ticket for your... It's like all these things. And I'm like, tennis is so difficult. Why is this so difficult as well? And these are the things that literally at night, I'm like, I'm only going to do this when I want to. And I, and I, when I'm playing the tournament, I'm ready to take on any challenge they throw at me and all that crap. But, you know, if I'm not ready for it, I'm not going to go out that week. Because I know that if somebody tells me, well, we can't give you that extra grounds pass, I'm like... My family flew in from eight hours away and you can't give me a grounds pass when there's 45 people in the stands right now. And these people look me in the eyes are like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And that's when I'm thinking like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Why am I it doing this? Up. It yeah. adds up all the yeah, time. And, I'm, and yeah. nobody understands it all. Okay. I mean, like I have eight heads. And I'm like, like, you're a player. What do you want? You're like, you got everything given to you. It's um, like, no, actually there's a lot that's going into this. Yes. It's hard to see that. My question to you is, so I, I understand the struggles, been there, done that. Um, are the other sports like just that much better than us? Like, are they just getting treated that much better? Because I'm sure that if you go and you speak to other associations, they're they're gonna have some complaints. So I think perspective is is a hun- is you know you have to take that into account. But 100. I mean, what would you say is another I guess association that would be the most relevant to maybe golf? I mean, golf would be yeah. I have a friend actually in the MLS. Which, you know, MLS is great, but I would kind of consider it the minor leagues compared to like Premier League and all these other ones. And, you know, what I have to say in that regard is expenses and travel for the most part is taken care of. If somebody said that we're going to take your flights, regardless of, you know, the annoyance of booking and making sure I'm getting there on time and all of this, if we're going to pay for them as well, their 80K salary a year is looking much nicer now. Um, You know, that's... You know, you're saying you're playing soccer for a living. Yeah, you're getting only $80,000 for, let's say, your top 
600 in the world, but at the same time, you're not having to pay for expenses. So it's actually $80,000, you know, before taxes, but it's actually a grand you're getting. With tennis, you have to, you're booking everything, you're taking care of everything and it's all on you. And then you have to pay for it on top of that. So it's like, it's that combination that, you know, cause I've spoken to them that, yes, believe me, there's things that we don't have to deal with necessarily, whether it's trading and all this other stuff. But at the same time, the biggest burden that I feel on tennis players, which is the travel and paying for it is taken off the plate. So world team tennis is the solution. That's what Jared Hiltzik was saying to me the other day. He's like, I want to come back and keep my ranking up so I can play world team tennis again because it's the best part of tennis. It was amazing. I think the format for a longer term tennis system is a little quick, a little too quick for me. I actually made a mock system and it's more along the lines of, so it's men and women, but it's more along the lines of uh, college tennis. So you have uh, three singles, men, three singles, women's and two doubles on both sides and one mix. And it's just like a two day event. And it's just, I'm trying to figure out all the issues we have in tennis right now, whether it's matches are played during the day, during, you know, office hours and, you know, all this other stuff where you can't cheer and, you know, the tournaments are too long and you're not getting expenses paid. You don't get a salary. And this is all taken care of in my mock thing. And obviously, you know, I don't know anything that goes into making a, a schedule, but it was just something that I wanted to sit down and create. And it would have four leagues. So you don't have to really travel around the world as much, um, but you still have the thousands and, and Grand Slams. So your team points would equate to an individual ranking to get into those larger tournaments. But I just think we need more team events. We need to get fans more involved and, and enough of this quiet, enough of this, you know, we can't wear a jersey. I mean, I have no fans and I know I have at least 10 people that would buy a Noah Rubin jersey. So it's like, imagine these guys, like you just want to relate to them. You want to be a part of them. And it's just like tennis prevents all of that. And if I get one more email from Wimbledon saying that my shirt has to have um, two centimeters on it and it can have only 1% color. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, Wimbledon? Like I get the tradition, but get out of here. There's so many... If you put that much energy into other issues that we would have to deal with, this sport would be further along. That's also exciting because now you can make your own tour and your own system. And there's so much opportunity for improvement and for your voice to make a difference. <laughs> You're only 23. And I bet a lot of players would want to do it too. It's yeah. exhausting. Given by the uh, behind-the-racket participation, I think you have a future here in saving the sport. It's exhausting, but... The idea of having like weekend tournaments is, is truly remarkable. Truly. And I know that people would come to that because... And men like, and women together... Oh. Come on. Yeah, like have a Friday, Saturday, Sunday kind of thing. And, you know, even if it's just like a, a league of in-state or something, it'd be amazing. I'd be very interested to see what mock system you come up with. Now I'm like totally intrigued and super interested. Yeah, yes, like I we're so excited. <laughs> I'm intrigued. You've sold me. Right now we're starting to easy with uh, <laughs> mental health and merchandise. That's what we're starting off That's with. Good. But yeah, no, it's definitely in the cards. I mean, you know, whether it's it's... You know, branching out, I'm talking to World Team Tennis and, and tiebreak 10s and even UTR and, and seeing, you know, their interest and in pushing this forward. But, um, you know, the ATP is still a few years behind and there's still some traditionalists at the top. So 
We have to shake them a little bit. It sounds like you're going to have like a guaranteed job offer once you decide to put the <laughs> rackets down because you're definitely a tennis innovator. And I think that that's so it's refreshing because a lot of people just stick it to, well, you know, it's money. Like, I, I know I'm one of them. I'm just like, it is what it is. Like my own boyfriend, he was telling me, he's like, do you understand that you get 13 percent? of what the U.S. Open makes, like 13%. And in basketball, they were fighting for 1%. And that was like to get 50-50. Like, do you get that? And I'm like... And for fans, the 13 is split, by the way, between men and women. So pretty incredible. Pretty incredible stuff. Yes, change is needed. And... Change is coming through Noah Rubin. <laughs> Woo! We'll see. I, I need a nap first. Yeah, we need to, we need to let him go. We, we, we took up a lot of your time on a uh, what's going to be a very traffic-filled evening for you. Yeah, it's okay. I have uh, wings away from me at home, so I'll oh, be good. good. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> That's on my tennis diet, by the way. I'm glad. I think this has been so cool. I mean, talking, even just being able to talk candidly about mental health and having platforms, because now you've made multiple platforms. you got podcasts, website, merchandise, Instagram. It's good that you're adding your voice to the mix and you're not shy about it. Thank you. I'm going to be that guy. There's only 99 pieces of clothing, so you have to get a <laughs> I have to be that guy. Oh, Come that's on. awesome. I worked you too hard on this. I worked too hard on this. It took like four months to create, so. What's the merchandise? It's just no Ruben shirts and I'll, and... I'll show you after this, okay. but yeah, it's pretty cool. You check it out on the site. All right. The website is going to be... BehindTheRacket.com. Thanks so much. Seriously. It's been awesome. Very eye-opening. Oh, thank you for having me. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer Luke Mahoney, producers Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.